Okay, starting. Um, we just swayed ourselves. Um, you are on a podcast. Yeah. But yeah, um, we gotta keep going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, just I'm trying to do the thing. I feel like I have a different body compared to how I felt during Alex's birthday. Yeah, same, I mean, yeah, I guess there are certain clothes that fit me differently. I think you should kind of just know. Yeah. It's crazy how, like, yeah, a few weeks can make a difference. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, I think everything in my life feels really messy right now. Which is silly because it doesn't need to. Because I... There's not many priorities for me right now. journaling or I didn't journal yeah I have been I've been like oh maybe I should journal and then I'm like I don't want to do you ever like not want to journal yeah of course yeah no I was just like I just really I had the thought like the past week that at some points that I probably should journal but I didn't want to oh I mean, I, I guess I tried to journal on Saturday when I was on the beach. And then I guess like looking at the ocean was more stimulating than journaling. <sighs> um, so I got like my vaccine and I feel like I was maybe kind of nauseous. So I don't know. I haven't really been hungry for the past few days but I've been eating anyway I guess like I justified it to myself like oh it's like fine but it's like I really wasn't hungry at any point so I just feel kind of sick actually I'm sure it doesn't make me feel better because I've been kind of like low level like sick with like a headache and stuff mm-hmm. and kind of nauseous I'm sure it's not helpful um yeah that's it's been an interesting week just because like I 
I don't know. I, I guess, like, it's weird because, like, you, you know when you get, like, slightly hungry, but then if you eat right away, then it's, like, you don't really ever really feel the real hunger, so you're not sure if you were or not. I guess that's been happening. Um, then I've kind of been, like, reaching for, like, faster things to eat. And it's just not as satisfying as, like, when there's, like, a meal that's, like, warmed up. So I feel like I kind of, like, deprive myself of... I guess sometimes I think, like, oh, it's, like, not... I'm not really eating or something if it's, like, something that's, like, not warm and, like... Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like I have, like, weird... I, I just like there's not much going on so it's like really easy to overthink it <laughs> like food and stuff it's like I don't know it becomes like doing this weird stuff and I, I do want to get like every, t every time like I do eat like warm nice food that I'm like why was I eating all this random stuff you know like the snacks because it just feels like not as satisfying so yeah it's just like interesting to like remember it's like oh yeah you can make it more satisfying for like the same or less amount of calories <laughs> and then maybe healthier as well because like a lot of the quicker things tend to be carby and so like you just don't feel good or like you're not as full or like satisfied I haven't been jogging because I don't know I feel like something's like off with me I don't know if it's like I hope it's PMS because like I don't think the vaccine should be affecting me for that long I don't know I have like like just haven't been feeling well I don't know if it's like related to my migraines or something. I just have like small headache for the past four, however many days it's been. Four days? Not dehydration. Could be. Yeah, I probably need to drink more water. Um, I, I don't think I'm fully for sure. I haven't been checking my hunger and fullness. Oh, that was supposed to be something that we did last week. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it's been a week. I know. I know. I'm sorry, too. I feel so... I, I like... Oh, my body... Yeah, I feel really... Like, really I'm new today. We, like, before you said that I was on plateau, like, I genuinely was like, okay, well, like... If I'm not on a plateau, then it was like weird water loss from my period because I know I've been eating like an asshole, as Corinne says, and maybe it's time to listen to another of her podcasts. Did you get your period? I did. So I, this is like when I'm supposed to be unhungry and mm. I weigh less. It's been a really heavy period, though. I bled through my pads and my uh, my um, period underwear, which I've never done before. <sighs>
Um, I guess what now? So we can talk about our whys, I guess. I could also run and get a wet hot hot towel to like do my recording. I mean, okay, I guess we should talk about process first or after the whys. I think we're supposed to talk about it after, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, it would be water and writing down the hunger and fullness. I mean, that's or the hunger scale thing. That's interesting. Yeah, because there's there's different levels of fullness. Um, I'm also gonna write down to. Do one microphone today. Okay. Can you do yours wise first? I mean, like, how is it possible for a child to be? 
And the best when I tried to pay attention to how much food I ate, I would quit, which is what I feel like doing right now and for the past three months. But I want to commit to a long period of time. I want to eat to live and not live to eat. Aren't you tired of struggling like this, Katarina? Don't you just want to be one with your body? That would feel so good. Everything would just be in alignment. Just listen to your body. Tired of shit fits. Let's say that. Guilt. Why procrastinate the work that you were supposed to do? Just do it. It'll feel better. I want to weigh 95 pounds, and I want to weigh 95 pounds because it's an optimally healthy weight for my height. I want to live a long time. I want to wear clothes that I've given up on, combat boots, thigh-high boots, ankle boots, armband, rapewear, denim shorts, swimsuit in front of other people. I'm going to Hawaii next week. Choose dresses that I like, not ones that make me look skinny in white pants. I want to wear these clothes and look elegant and trendy, not dumpy and trashy. I want a hot girl summer. But really, even more than that, it's about health. I want to age gracefully. I don't want to put my body under oxidative stress. I don't want to be 150 pounds if pregnant. I want medical teams to be able to treat me easier. And GERD goes down by a lot, even up 20 versus 23 BMI. It'll be easier to do things I love. Eagle pose, be faster at surfing, have better alignment in ballet, be lighter when running. I want to be more beautiful with a more defined face, with bigger eyes and a less squishy face. I want to be neat petite. At work, thinner people are seen as more in control and disciplined than fat, lazy, sloppy people. I want to love how I look in photos and not be horrified by candid photos again. I'm going to have to ask boys to take photos of me over the next three weeks, and they're not going to know the angles, the flattering angles. They're not going to know to take seven photos of me so I can choose the best one. They're going to take one sloppy photo, and then that's going to be the photo of me in Hawaii, and then I'm going to be really disappointed if I didn't suck in enough all 13 seconds that I was, or like, I guess three seconds that I was posing. So... Hey, I have half a week. You can lose a pound in half a week. And a lot of water weight. Okay, half a week is really short. But still, I could at least not look worse. I am growing past failure to achieve new things. Also, Mexico is a month person. And I need to be hot with Kathy. We need to be hot 30 somethings. Okay. That's actually everything that I wrote down. Um, I want to go back to my original I and remind myself that um, I wanted to be fit mm -hmm. so I can do things mm -hmm. uh, because I enjoy moving my body and that includes like being light enough to move it. Mm -hmm. So that's like hiking, um, long backpacking tracks. Mm -hmm dancing, 
I'm actually gonna go to an outdoor hip hop class this weekend. So oh my gosh. I hope that I enjoy that. Yeah. Ballet. Um, I have hip hop with baggy clothes because you can't wear baggy clothes when you're large. Um, and jazz. all your movements are sharper. Yeah, I mean, I always told myself that as an excuse, but then I'm like, why are there so many large people that are good at dancing? I'm just like not good at dancing, maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's fine. You will still look better, mm-hmm. uh, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, jazz, heels, contemporary. Um, have the strength and the lightness and visually look good. Um, lifts, like pole dancing, my own leg for ballet whether on its own or assisted by my arm. Partner dances like salsa, um, pair skating and acro yoga. Be taught pyramid. Okay. Um, let's see, where are we? Okay. Mentally, I want to be aware of my emotions and skillfully respond. So I did cry last night and I felt pretty good. I, I was like I feel like I was like eating for a couple hours to like cover I don't know if I was like covering it up or wanted like to numb it but anyways eventually I ended up crying and it was like really nice. What were you crying um, about? Um I guess I was lonely and stressed and about the job and stuff in general. I don't know, I I guess I'm just like not happy with my life. Uh, I mean, it could be like, I hope I'm PMSing, but I don't know for sure. Probably not. You don't think so? No, I mean, you're probably PMSing, but that's probably not where the emotions are coming from. Oh, I mean, usually what happens, I feel like I usually, during PMS, like it amplifies. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it pushes me over the edge to cry versus, mm-hmm. like, normally I'd just be sitting there thinking those things, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I hope it's that, but, yeah. I mean, regardless of whether it's pain I mean, obviously I'm still feeling those things, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, By the way, I did want to share that I was actually reading a book in bed, and I was crying really hard. I don't know if oh, you could hear cry. No. Okay. Oh, when you came out, I guess your your eyes was, because I'm blind right now, I did kind of think that you were, yeah. were, your eyes was wet, but I thought that you, you were yeah. yawning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was sniffing super loud, and I was like, I hope this is You always sniff. No, but like a lot more than usual, and it was like a different sniff. Anyway, it felt really good, too, yeah. and it's good to read fiction because it takes you out of your world for a little bit, and then it gives you some perspective. Okay, back to you. Yeah, I, I started this, like, I read, like, a few pages of this fiction book of these, like, 12-year-olds who lived in Sudan and uh-huh. were walking uh-huh. around uh-huh. or something. Uh-huh. Anyways, I that's all. I didn't finish it because I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, just reminds me of, like, the kind of books I used to use yeah. when I was little. Because, like, it's like, these people are 14 years old and I feel a little bit weird about this. Like, they're not, like, business moguls or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely, like, was... Yeah, it takes you out of, like, your current. Because mm-hmm. you, you don't have any reference to them because they're so different. And then when you get back into your life, it's you look at things with fresher eyes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should read that book about the children. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I want not to rely on mood altering substances. Oh my god, my body feels so bad right now. <laughs> Cause so like I've been so bloated. Like uh-huh. I know it's like I feel like I know my stomach's not permanently like this, but it has been for like two weeks. Like, cause um like m- one of the. Neha's bridesmaids got her uh, top mm-hmm. and she showed it to me and I was like oh no mm-hmm. <laughs> she showed it to me yesterday and I was like that's I mean luckily I'm shorter but I'm like that's very revealing oh like, yeah and then I was like uh this stomach isn't gonna work like yeah. <laughs> cause like I need to at least like get rid of like this blow and the water weight mm-hmm. for like if I just like stay as is but like I need to get get rid of like there's a ton of like bloat and like stuff I don't know what's going on but that's not gonna work um and like you you have to just like eat healthy to do that like you can't be like eating shit otherwise you're gonna be bloated and I'm like I'm like starting to freak out because I'm like it's been like a straight two weeks that it's been like this so I'm like is this permanently like this like I need to see you know (laughs) I need to by the way, oh, for when I'm gone, do you want me to take this notebook with me? Or do you want to leave with Jimmy and have him? Just leave it here, okay. yeah. Um, okay. Taking a shot after a hard meeting or just, like, throughout the work day. Oh, my God. Imagine you're, like, I don't I know what to work on. Yeah. I don't know what to work on. I don't want to go to work, so I think I'll drink alone in my yeah. kitchen. That's even worse than taking a shot after a meeting because because it's stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Cause that is is often what I do as well. I'm bored, so I guess I'll just drink by myself. Um I want to have a good external view in my body. Feel I fit my identity oh. of a cute and pretty person. Mm-hmm. Enjoy gazing at myself. Wear nice clothes. Have a small face. That's like my number one is wanting to have a smaller face. Mm-hmm. I I just like hate being in damn video calls, having to look at my face and being like, oh my god, like it's just like horrible. <gasps> I know, I know. Be confident without makeup. I want to interact with the world without being held back by my appearance, the way I hold myself and the way others respond to me. I want to feel like a high-powered machine from the inside out, at the foundation, healthy, not a drugged-up, washed-up beach whale, not be hindered by weight, um, be strong and physically capable with muscles, very functional for the things I want to do. Uh, this is the key to growth and reaching my goals and desires in all aspects of life. I don't want to be afraid of myself. I want to be compassionate and self-independent. I want to treat myself with compassion as someone I'm caring for and want to succeed. I am worthy of my own self-love and compassion to be there for myself no matter what happens uh treat myself well um 
I want to lose weight for a couple special events that are meaningful to me. Disneyland and the weddings. Those photos will be resurfaced year after year. That's true shit. <laughs> oh my god. Um, maybe not if everyone else also feels fat. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, like, other people have not gained weight. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, most people I know have not. Some people have. Very few. But I'm like, most people in my circle, they look it's the because same they're, or skinny. They're not... They don't have issues. Well, they're, like, high achievers. I feel like all the high achievers are still thin, and, like, people who don't, like, lower social economic people are the ones gaining weight. Right. I mean, because, like, and, and I think about all my coworkers, too, they all look this skinny. Oh. I mean, they, they all look the same, you know? Like, I mean, I, I'm the fattest person on my team. Like, oh. I mean, in person, I was always the fattest yeah. person on my team. Like, shit. I'm, like, there's all these moms, and I'm, like, they're just, like, um, and feel the mental weight of being controlled and manipulated by body sugar fall off. Feel the physical weight fall off as I'm able to move my body with ease and train it. Feel the mental weight of hating the way I look melt away. Um, wear clothes like bikini, white shorts, dresses in the summer, uh, jeans, crop tops. Live my life. Uh, emotions are not emergencies. <laughs> That's a good one. Avoid guilt and blow. Okay. What were you gonna tell me? Oh, should I stop this? Yeah. For that's an awesome point. There are different since this is 
a physical product, there are people where it might not be so great. Um, so could they do things, could it be improved? Like, could they have some sort of attachment between the two, um, which doesn't really get in the way, but you know, helps with that use case or things like that? Yeah, and then, sorry, and then the like,
terms of the users, these are uh, farmers in India, and I'm sure there are many different segments within um, them. I often think about um, kind of like engagement in a way, or like level of usage. So are they full-time farmers? Are they part-time? Um, are like what, like how, how experienced are they? You know, are they new farmers? Are they helping out a family member as, as a side thing? Or are they like, have, do they have a ton of experience uh, with farming? Um, and then also when I think about uh, different possible user segments, uh, like what kind of crops do they farm? Um, there could be, um, or we can even think about farming as broader than just Animals, um, flowers, it could be corn or things that are grown by wheat. Um, so, a variety of things that they could be farming with different challenges. Um, now that I've talked through some of the segments, well, I'd like to understand uh, for the purposes of understanding value, like how big these segments are, uh, because usually we want to start with, uh, when I think about prioritizing, I want to um, serve a large that is also like really underserved and has pain points that we think we can solve. Um, and I am thinking to solve for the less experienced farmers, um, given that you know we likely can help them more, and there's probably not a ton of like they could use more help. Mm -hmm. How Geography and what can work. 
So that's like tapping into their resources. And then finally, they'll actually have to like physically acquire the, the goods, like through some transportation. And then they may also need some tools once they acquire those goods, um, whether it's like a tractor or um, other um, farming like tools that can water irrigation. Then um, they actually need help to um, throughout the season to monitor and um, harvest the goods. So like, there's a really long life cycle, and we really want to understand like from the, the users like where their current pain points are um, and, and how we can um, best address it. And I think one thing that technology tends to be really good in is, is like connecting people, right? Like mm -hmm. like one of LinkedIn's superpowers and. Um, you know, without knowing, I think that that's probably, like, my hypothesis is that's, like, a, a place where uh, we could probably help. Mm -hmm. So, um, that makes a ton of sense. Given all of this, and we only have five minutes left, so we can kind of, like, wrap up this line of thinking. Um, you would do your survey. You get some information back.
meet you. specifically for professionals, I see some of that content. Um, 
and there, there's also like Zoom webinars occurring um, kind of in the wild. Um, and I would say like LinkedIn as a company is uniquely suited to actually connect professionals um, for, for live video. So like this is like a unique superpower where LinkedIn is a huge platform, has um, a lot of connections and um, existing tools that would be really great to build a live product on top of. Um, so when I think about like the market, it exists and you know the there aren't necessarily you know, competitors that are uniquely suited to address um, this problem, the, the live video. Um, and then, so here, like in my second criteria is like LinkedIn is a, there's a differentiator for the company. And so I just alluded to that and how, um, you know, there's an existing group user base. There's some tools like maybe posts and connections and followers that we could leverage to get this product off the ground. Um, and, and like LinkedIn is really a place to be professional and I think like that that is so special about it and so there's not really a good platform today for that and then thirdly it's like do users care would users care about this live product um, you know is, is like what data or research we have to show that and I would say that um, Professionals meet a lot through video, right? Through live video, there are many use cases such as uh, product announcements, um, people trying to get more business, through, you know, whether it's like sales or marketing teams trying to do product demos and, and share their product. Um, and and so like, and also video is super engaging as, as a format. So like you know, lots of people are using posts and, and comments and like text on LinkedIn today. But I think like this could be such a powerful lever to improve users' engagement and uh, you know like retention of LinkedIn um, from the member side. Um, and then from the creator side, it would be great because they're able to connect their followers in such a richer way that's like more immersive. Um, and it's like really, yeah, really immersive. And I think the, what's also really cool about live is that there's this urgency component. So a lot of things that happen on apps, they're sort of always available, but um, live things, like for example, if you think about Clubhouse or like other examples, um, it really creates that urgency for the users to go then and participate. Like if you think about watching a recording of a meeting versus actually being there, you can engage with you know whoever is streaming, and and that that like creates a more interactive experience on both sides in a richer connection. Um, and so yeah, so in terms of like company, I think like there it makes a lot of sense for LinkedIn to pursue this. Um, they're uniquely um, suited to pursue this and succeed, and there's an existing platform, and, and users probably want it. A data point I would I would look at um, to understand whether users might want it is to look at the existing video um, usage within the product. I believe there's there's like some videos within LinkedIn that people post. Um, try to understand like does that have good retention, and like could we use those signals to figure out like a core set of users you can promote this live video to, or are there creators that are already uh, creating videos that we can capitalize on and say like, you know, these folks are like ready to go in terms of uh, broadcasting live. Um, and yeah, so anytime I'm thinking about products, I like to think about the two-sided marketplace. 
Um, I think that's so important to build for both sides. Um, and so like one side that I talked about was um, creators. And I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna pause here and like take some time to like think about who these users might be and who we might prioritize. Um, so, there, so there are two sides of the marketplace. There are the creators, so those people who are creating um, the live video. And then there are the watchers or viewers, so people who are um, watching the videos. And if you think about like the types of creators that we could target, there are many kinds. So you could think of um, you know, big companies who have a big following, or consultants who are trying to do thought leadership, um, influencers who are trying to build their own brand um, and, and maybe like you know connect them for like future business opportunities um, and, and maybe even panels of people like multiple people streaming together and then and then on the viewer side um, in terms of members or individuals you have um, people professionals from a whole host of like jun junior to senior roles, uh, potentially decision makers for purchasing uh, things or sales and marketing, uh, as well as like maybe new grads and, and like people who, um, um, and, and like people from different industries. So there's a lot of people that we could build for and like I'm really excited now that I'm like talking through this that actually there are so many use cases this product could end up being. But if we're thinking about like prioritization and making sure that it's very, very successful from the get-go, I would start um, probably with creators that have a big following. So um, the reason why is because I think whenever you launch something new, um, you want to have like, a, a big top of funnel so that in case the engagement is low, um, you know, it's still successful and you get kind of signal on what's going on. Um, and also I think that like any company that's engaging their users a lot and have a large following, um, people probably want to hear from, right? Like they're already doing a great job on the platform, but we're just providing them with more tools to become even more successful at what they're doing. Um, and then on the viewer side, um, I mean, I would, like I said before, I would probably prioritize people who've engaged with video content. You know, maybe not everyone likes to on LinkedIn. Um, so I kind of think about like the power viewers um, and to start there. Um, so, yeah. What do you mean by like starting with some power viewers? Yeah, so. If you have a set of creators in mind, mm -hmm. Would you want to focus on a subset of their following, or um, uh, like how are you prioritizing the viewers amongst the people that are already following these creators? Yeah, so when I think about like connecting supply and demand, especially early on when you're not sure how something will perform, I found that it's, well, I found that it's good to connect, like, like let's say, um, someone who isn't very engaged on LinkedIn, and they have one bad experience through this, you know, new live stream. They may it may be like pretty bad to the point that it impacts their retention negatively. And so when you think about like where is there less risk or like you know where can we collect some signal as to whether it's working? It's 
people who are already engaged. Um, the risk with going with low engaged is it's hard to tease out like the impact of this product because they're so low engaged. Like there's very few actions to look at. And like I said, also in order to preserve the member experience or the viewer experience, I would um, probably want to target people who are more engaged on the platform, who you know are familiar with video, where that's not a barrier to them. And also, like depending on how good this launch goes, like we want this to further their engagement. And in, in the case of it being negative, you know, then it won't be like such a standout compared to all their other engagements. So that's how I'm thinking about it. And on the creator side, I prioritize power creators just because uh, I want like less friction in terms of transitioning from the existing way they use the platform and then, you know, into this new product. Like there are so many things that you have to figure out with video, right? Like quality and um, what types of content, right? Like a, writing a post is so different than creating a, a 30 minute or 60 minute live stream. And so um, it would actually be great if we could, like when we choose who to roll out to, that we actually do some manual inspection of what kinds of content they're creating. Um, because quality is really key. Like I'm thinking in terms of risks here, uh, risks could be like low quality content, um, which, which sets the product up for failure. Like you want to measure whether the product is actually doing its job and make sure that, you know, you are setting it up for success with quality content by connecting the right people, um, doing a really small like pilot first to collect some data and this is where research is really important um what i would say is what i found um works really well is to do a limited pilot so instead of like rolling out to everyone saying hey we, we launched this cool thing i i usually like to do research um so actually like have the users in research while they're using the product so that we can see from both sides um, how they're using it, questions they have, like what's confusing, what they like or don't like. Um, and it's important to get uh, research from both sides, so both the creator and the viewer, um, since you know they're really both important to the ecosystem. Uh, and I found that that is super helpful because there are things that come up that we may not even think about or realize are a problem. Um, oftentimes I've seen users get roadblocked at a certain point and actually can't get through. And that's not necessarily a failure on the fact that the product wasn't engaging. It's more like, it's just, we need to fix some basic usability things, right? Like, so I, I found that to be really enlightening. And then, so after, you know, fixing these bugs and like issues, um, based on this research, then I would probably like look in the data and see if there are like certain types of creators that I would recommend and then maybe like manually look at them to see some type of content and then reach out to them with like an invitation to join this and keep it pretty small because I would actually want to have operations monitor these first few live streams, um, if you think about like integrity, right, there were some interesting things going on with Zoom during the pandemic, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I 
like classrooms getting bombed with like really inappropriate things. So definitely like privacy and integrity is really key here. Um, and, and for us to just like be aware of what types of like, you know, comments maybe like we, we should probably want to do like some filtering of the comments or maybe approving the comments in the very beginning. Things like that, I think, um, could really preserve the user experience. Like, YouTube is notorious for really bad comments, like hateful comments, just not constructive. Facebook, too, unfortunately. So I think as a professional platform, um, this is really important for us to preserve our brand and be somewhere where we can, people can have constructive conversations. Yeah. Um, How would you know when you're ready to go past yeah, so I would say like a lot of that is kind of qualitative in the beginning because it's, it's limited. So if users are saying, hey, I actually want to use this again, um, I think that's a signal to me. Um, I would also say I would look at, you know, the very limited data that I have and see like our users, maybe things like um, average watch time. This is something I found to be really critical is when you look at metrics, like it can be problematic to just say, oh, number of videos watched, live videos watched, right? Because you want some sense of quality. Um, so you wanna know like if users are, you know, going in and just abandoning right away because they don't like it. Um, and, and you wanna, like oftentimes actually I found it's helpful to just cut those types of, um, experiences out from the KPIs because they really don't, I mean, they're good to monitor uh, as operational metrics, but not good as something that we're optimizing for as a team. Um, so I would probably look for something like average watch time um, above, let's say 10 minutes it, or whatever, you know, we come up with as, as a threshold based on like the data. Um, it's really hard when you, when you are basing it off such a small rollout, but um, I think like as long as everything's working, customers are happy, maybe we do a survey with, and they have like good sentiment, then usually I, I like to roll, uh, move on and do like a, a more public rollout. Um, I think with LinkedIn, so I look at Facebook and I would say at, we, we don't tend to do like these, these broad rollouts where we announce things. But I've noticed that LinkedIn tends to do that because it's, you know, it's made for businesses, right? And it, it's, it's very much like you're using this to accomplish your job. Um, so I think like we would want to do an announcement and, um, and maybe this is hard. I think like do a limited rollout. So not let like everyone and their cousins <laughs> stream on here. So maybe like limited to people above a certain amount of followers or um, a certain amount of like positive engagement. So like maybe like reactions on their posts, things that signal that like users are actually engaging and um, following. Um, so I think, and also that the creators are engaging back with the, the members as well. Um, so that's how I would determine um, the, the next set of like who's who's who can use this product um, and then from there then I, I would go on to, to a broader rollout um, you, yeah. you mentioned um, like integrity and privacy yeah and 
the issues before. Um, but up until, you know, probably up until a, a fairly limited beta or a small rollout, um, yeah. you know, you're, you're relying a lot more on operations or making yeah. new. Um, well, talk to me about, about how you would get this to scale, or even if it should get to scale, and how you think about that. Yeah. Um, well, I think, let's see. Yeah, I, I think, well, there, there would be probably some existing, um, I guess, models or um, machine learning algorithms that we apply to feed with text that we could potentially use to put live, let's say like you have to submit your live video to a queue with like the topic and who's doing this, uh, what experience you have, maybe some examples of videos. Um, submit that to a queue and then it would go through approval based on this machine learning model of like, you know, keywords that are in there. Um, I think it's, maybe we could also have ways for users, for members to report if they're seeing anything strange um, and make that very visible. Um, because at a certain point you can't have LinkedIn monitoring everything and you really need to put the power in users' hands because what we decide is problematic may not be the same thing as the user and we could have um, ways to give warnings or ban creators if they're getting a lot of complaints. Um, you could have like different types of, of uh, issues that users are highlighting and, and like severity level. So I do think, you know, it still requires some operations like and some support. And I, I think like that's always going to be the case. It, it'll just be if there are like escalations where um, you know the, the, the creator is appealing this, um, then ops would need to get involved. Okay. Um, do you think that a product like this should, um, well, would, we should get to a point where anybody at any time should go live? Um, hmm. You know, generally, I think it's good to have all users have access to all the tools on the platform. Um, I'm a little hesitant in this case just because of how sensitive going live could, could be. Um, so it, maybe we have a qualification where you've had to have posted three videos before, right? Um, and have some engagement with that video so that we know that we have some positive signals that this is an account or a business that um, you know is, is positive because um, I think it's like really hard on a broad scale to detect like you know potential concerns um, without any existing data to go off of um, and I, I think we also need to understand that like what is the market for this um, are we just trying to be another YouTube where like anyone can post anything or do we really want this to be like a curated place for professionals to go to find the, the latest like trends and insights and really high quality content and I think in a way that does need to be limited um, 
like my North Star metric would probably be something like average weekly watchers um, that are watching above like a 10 minute threshold for that quality piece. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily expect that that would be, that, that would grow to all LinkedIn users. Um, so I think at a certain point, um, it's not just about how many watchers you have, but I think the other important metrics to call to really monitor are like engagement. Like what kind of value is this providing to the businesses and to the watchers? So a key one is like engagement. So followers, comments on the videos or on their posts. Um, and then I think like with businesses, sales is really key. So we'd love to use this for sales and you know, have decision makers actually like maybe we export it to our marketing solutions or sales navigator um, and have like some of this data be included in there, like who watched what, and then actually create like really deep connections, like not just watching something, but taking action um, from a business perspective. And I don't necessarily think that we need to scale to everyone to enable these types of, of um, you know, deep engagement with our users. I, I said, Han said we use some time to ask you questions, and I, I probably did not leave you enough time, but I can also go over for a few minutes if, if that's helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, let me know what, uh, what I, can, I can tell you. Yeah, so it sounds like you have a really huge scope, uh, but I would love to like dive down into the navigation role specifically because I worked on nav at Facebook, but it could mean different things. So would love to hear like what the scope is and what the biggest problems that you're um, going to tackle in the next year. So this is a this is a role that is probably the most uh, cross pillar role that we have in our our consumer app. Um, so uh, it actually has two kind of product ownership areas. One is on navigation, which is uh, not just the, uh, say, like top and bottom bars of the app, but basically everything around the feed when you first say, like, load the app or load the home page. Um, uh, one big area that we need to do, <laughs> we need to make progress on here is actually unifying our mobile and our desktop experiences. So if you look at mobile and you look at desktop mm -hmm. or web, like looks like two totally different companies yeah. built it. And uh, a big part of what will make it feel less jarring to people who are switching client to client is a more unified navigation and like frame around the app. Um, the navigation ties into the overall information architecture. So when we like talk about navigation, we're not just talking about uh, like what goes on in that like, pixel space, we're talking about that, how that translates into uh, secondary or even tertiary navigation throughout the different pages. So um, uh, I mean, someone who's, who's very interested in how we can build a framework that scales to other teams, mm -hmm. um, that's an area that uh, is, I think, a, 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 a premium yeah. in this role. The other area that's a part of this, this PM scope is application UX and shared mm -hmm. UX. So uh, this product person would be a partner to our uh, infra UX team and our design systems team. So uh, when you think about things like components, like common components that you'd want to reuse across the app, mm -hmm. um, common uh, experiences 
and we don't want individual pillars to rebuild over and over again. Mm -hmm. So a good example is right now we're rolling out our, our dark mode product, our dark mode view. Um, obviously, every it's not like each individual team is going to say, I'm going to make my product work for dark mode. <laughs> and then, you know, you don't want individual pages building dark mode by themselves. This needs to be something that happens um, on the like, application UX side. Um, another area that is like uh, we, we need to, to, to figure out is like commonality in terms of error messaging, commonality in mm -hmm. terms of communicating with a member that like there's no internet connection, or uh, basically like I'm, I'm looking for someone who is um, very passionate about like reusability, about consistency, and about how um, components are leveraged throughout the app. So I think a, a unifying theme here someone who really thrives on partnering with other teams and uh, enabling other teams to like both enabling and uh, forcing other <laughs> teams to like conform to what is the, the right way to do things and then also someone who's very um, uh, passionate about how our, our design systems and our uh, products can scale and feel more cohesive about Cool. Um, what incentives do the teams have to to like leverage the new components? Like you mentioned, some some part is enabling, some part is enforcing. So, like, what does that partnership look like today? So, um, it's very it's very generous. So, um, right now, the, the team has been actually been focused much more on these like big bang projects. Like I mentioned, dark mode. Mm -hmm. uh, we also did a big like visual redesign. Uh, last year as well. So the, the team has actually been focused much more on these like step function changes in the in the, in the US and not so much on building up this roadmap of uh, what are the, the components that we need to build in a reusable way. The incentive should be that hey you can actually build this from scratch which will take longer right. or this team already has something and so go you know use it as a you really have a strong use case for, for customizing in some way. Um, the main way, that, so that's, that's on the incentive part, is like ideally you make it faster. So that's where a product mm -hmm. manager comes in. Like a, a, a good PM wouldn't really have to do much incentivizing because they would know these are the areas where like a lot of teams are already doing their own one-off mm -hmm. work and if you build it one way in a way that other people can use very readily, they'll jump at the chance of, of doing it. On the enforcement side, um, we do this often uh, via our, our design team in terms of like design. Mm -hmm. Blocking it or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So whenever people build new things, um, like if, if there already is a standardized, like very easy way to mm -hmm. do it out of the box, let's use that. And then usually a lot of designers get a lot of flack if they, <laughs> if they it's funny because I have experience on both sides. So being that naughty product team that tries to do things, as well as being on the nav side, so like I have that really good perspective from both, and that I think will be really useful. Um, anything else I can, I can help answer for you? Yeah. Um, so what is the the cost functional team? How many engineers, research, data, those kinds of resources? Yes. So, actually, give me one second. I just need to ping someone to talk. Um, we can have this be the last question. Uh, yeah. 
Thanks a lot, Alicia, for taking the time to talk with me today. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye.